listening to Law and Gospel on this September the 2nd in the year of our Lord 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And on Wednesdays, we have been taking a look at the various principles of law and gospel that were taught by C.F.W. Walther. In fact, he did 39 evening lectures on Fridays beginning in September 1884, ending on November the 6th, 1885. So for over a whole year, seminarians would gather to hear him talk about the various items of law and gospel. We decided, even though there's 25 theses, that we would stay with the evening lectures. Uh, because, for example, thesis number nine it's almost one quarter of the material that CFW Walter uses to explain thesis number nine. So we've been on it for a number of weeks that talks about that you don't point sinners who have been terrified by the law toward their prayers and struggles with God so that they work their way into a state of grace and feel that God has received them into grace. Instead, point them toward the word and sacraments. So we're ending thesis nine today, and we're going to be talking about thesis number 10. But what CFW Walther does at the beginning of each evening lecture, he has a little introduction. And for this 20th evening lecture, that he delivered on February the 27th, 1885. He gives some practical advice to candidates, seminarians who are about to be assigned to a parish. And he says that for you, that place that you will be assigned should be considered as the most dearest, most beautiful, and most precious spot on earth. In fact, you should be unwilling to exchange it for a kingdom. And he says, whether it's in a metropolis, big city, a small town, a bleak prairie, or a clearing in the forest, or even in a flourishing settlement, settlement or in a desert, that place should be a miniature paradise. Now, I had a uh, seminarian who, after call night, was assigned to a parish that he wasn't looking forward to at all. He didn't think much about the city, uh, and it was in an area that he didn't really want to go to. It wasn't near family or anything, and I wish I had remember what CFW Walther here said, is that that's a divine call when you're first assigned to a parish. And so you should be, like Walther says, taking a look at it as a miniature paradise. Now, Walther makes a point that when you get there, it may seem that the majority, if not all the members of the congregation are spiritually blind and unconverted people. We've had situations where a pastor goes there and the congregation has no problem 
in a number of items that are false teaching. For example, they would not hesitate to let someone join who belonged to an animal lodge, or they would allow anybody to come to communion regardless of their beliefs. And so the congregation doesn't really have a spiritual understanding of those teachings. And it should be the desire of the new pastor to help them understand it. In fact, even if he finds that some of the members of the new parish are living in open shame and vice, he must not despair. He needs to have an effort to free those slaves of sin. Or he may find that the people are really quite sincere, but because of their pietistic training, they tend to be legalistic. What does that mean? Well, they really have been brought up with the view that your behavior makes a difference whether you go to heaven or hell. And for that reason, they would often regard some things as sinful that are not sinful. There are congregations that prohibit dancing or drinking or playing cards or gambling. Not that any of those things are sinful in and of themselves, but they can lead to getting addicted to these items if you go beyond the limit. And, and therefore, the pastor needs to get rid of their pietistic, legalistic kind of teaching. On the other hand, he may find some people with what's called an antinomian tendency. Now, these are people who believe they can go much further in their Christian freedom, they call it, than God allows. And we're seeing a lot of that today, where certain acts of immorality are considered to be okay because you were born that way. So the pastor must go after them gently and gradually and make them see the stern demands of the law. And Walter quotes Paul in 1 Corinthians 9.22, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Uh, remember, there's that situation where meat offered to idols of another religion, Christians could eat that. But some new Christians thought that if you ate that meat offered to idols, then you became part of the idols, so to speak. And so they were really concerned about that. And CFW Walther is saying, well, if I was in that situation, I wouldn't be doing that. When our missionaries are sent overseas, there are practices of the culture that the missionary needs to be careful that he does not negate. And they're trained ahead of time as to what that particular culture considers to be proper behavior. Uh, and, and this isn't the difference between sin or not sin, but it'd be the difference is how do you greet someone? In some cultures, you kiss them on the cheek. That would not be appropriate, I believe, 
in the United States, a pastor at the back of the church greeting people by kissing all the women on the cheek. So the pastor must be content with proclaiming the truth in such a way that he meets the needs of the people. Therefore, he may discover that most members of his congregation are mature, believing, and active Christians, and only a few there appear to be unconverted. Like right now, with more people returning to church after this uh, virus situation has occurred, some of them are not believers, and therefore the pastor is given the opportunity of, wow, this is great. I may be able to use the word of God so the Holy Spirit can convince them to believe the wonderful law and gospel. Now, some young pastors will enter into a new church after they left the seminary thinking, wow, my time of hard work at the seminary and drudgery is over. And now I don't have to take orders from any person in the world. Walter considers that to be pitiful as the pastor looks upon his office as his craft, his trade, and he thinks to himself, boy, I will be careful not to make enemies of any members of the congregation and to do everything to make everyone my friend. That was not the attitude of Jesus. He even took a look at one of his best friends, Peter, and said, get thee behind me, Satan. So his goal is to increase the faith of the believers and bring faith to those who appear to be unconverted. And Walter says, what would be the main way for him to reach this glorious goal? He must preach the word of God with great passion. And he quotes 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And Walter picks up on that last phrase, talking about that Holy Scripture is rightly handled by noticing the distinction between law and gospel. He says, any passage of Scripture should belong either to the law or the gospel. So this is kind of the introduction to the 10th thesis, and he ends with the introduction, many things might still be said regarding the ninth thesis, but we must not spend any more time on it or else we will never get done. And of course, he almost goes another eight months. So thesis nine, this is what it says. You are not rightly distinguishing law and gospel in the word of God if you preach that dead faith can justify and save in the sight of God while that believer is still living in mortal sins. In the same way, 
do not preach that faith justifies and saves those unrepentant people because of the love and renewal it produces in them. So in this particular evening lecture, he's going to deal with this first part, that dead faith cannot justify if the believer is still living in mortal sins. I think a good example of that is, of course, the Pharisees at the time of Jesus. One could say they had a faith in God, but I, I'm learning that every time, say, I'm driving in Uber and I get in the conversation with one of the passengers and I ask them, do you believe in God? And they say, oh, yeah, I believe there's a God. I always ask them, what kind of God do you believe in? And it's rare that they indicate Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross. So from the point of view of the people in Jesus' day, it does seem that the Pharisees had great faith. They had long prayers in front of people. They were not known for committing murder or adultery. And they took it out on people who were doing that. But Walter makes a point that that faith was what is referred to as a historic faith. In other words, I'm unaware of any of the Pharisees that did not believe in six-day, 24-hour creation, who did not believe that the world was destroyed by a flood, who did not believe that Israel crossed the dry Red Sea. And, and you notice what I'm speaking of. I'm speaking of the history of the Bible. And yet, when Jesus confronted those Pharisees, what did he say of them? That their father was the devil. And why was that? Because historic faith is different than saving faith. In fact, saving faith does justify a person not because it believes in the history, the historical events of the Bible, but because it clings to the gracious promises of Christ. Therefore, you can have somebody who believes that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, like the Pharisees do, like the devils do, but that's not saving faith because genuine faith clings to the gracious promises that are attached to the events of Jesus Christ. And therefore, when you have a faith that is historical and not saving, those individuals will think that they need to do good works in order to earn the gift of the forgiveness of sins. I mean, how many times did a Pharisee say, I am not like those sinners over there, and got the impression that he was saved? Now, good works are necessary, but not for salvation. 
When we talk about they're necessary, it means that they automatically come about when you believe in the worship of God properly. And Luther has a couple of examples. He says, a fruit, I'm sorry, this is CFW Walter. A fruitful tree does not produce fruit because someone orders it to grow fruit. But as long as there's still life in it and it is not dried up, that tree cannot do anything but bear fruit. In the same way, he uses the sun. You don't have to tell the sun in the morning that it's time to shine. It will continue shining until the last day without anybody commanding it to do so. And he says, faith is like the sun. In fact, he, he makes a, per, uh, a point that is really important that you don't have to tell Christians that they must do good works. Once they hear what the will of God is, they spontaneously want to do good works like a fruitful tree or the burning sun. And therefore, that's very important that pastors are careful that when they step into the pulpit, they don't step in there full of ambitious passion, saying, now the folks are going to see what a real preacher is like. In fact, these preachers prefer such flattery to being slipped, say, $10. Now, when Luther, I'm sorry, when Walther used this $10, that amount of money was probably worth about $200 worth of produce today. And preachers need to be careful not to be haughty, proud, and ambitious. But everybody has those sinful thoughts of being haughty, proud, and ambitious. How many times have you been accused of doing a sin and you attempt to show, no, I really didn't do it, or you blame somebody else? Our pride gets in the way of truth. And that's why proper repentance says, no, I did it. I'm the one responsible for it. Nobody else is. So CFW Walther goes into the Council of Trent, which was the Roman Catholic kind of meeting after or just before the death of uh, uh, Luther. And he points out what they say in the sixth session. We must claim that salvation can be lost by other means than simply by unbelief, through which faith itself is lost. Well, the Bible doesn't agree with that. If salvation is lost, is because you have had unbelief. This is also true of the Calvinists, and he has a lengthy section from the decrees of the Synod of Dort. And that was a synod which decided on how to best summarize Calvinistic theology 
with the word tulip. What, what does tulip mean? Well, each letter stands for something. And some of them we agree with. For example, the first one is the total depravity of God, uh, of man. Man is totally depraved when conceived. The U is unconditional election, that God decides who is predestinated to heaven and who is predestinated to hell, and it's unconditional. Now, there's no doubt we would teach Lutherans that the election is unconditional. You were not brought into the family of God because you're such a good person. We don't know of any condition that you met. L means limited atonement, and that's really sad. That when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he only died for the sins of the elect, not for the sins of everybody. Then you have irresistible grace. We disagree with that. A human being can resist the grace of God. Judas was an example of that. Saul the king was another example. And then finally, you have the P of Tulip, perseverance of the saints. And we disagree with that. There are those who may have faith, but then they fall away from that faith. And they do not persevere because they become unbelievers. I mean, that's the reason we have excommunication, in order to wake somebody up to the fact that they have fallen from the faith by their tremendous unrepentance. And so C.F.W. Walther then quotes from the Lutheran Confessions, making it very clear that any sin, if willful and intentional, can snuff out the light of faith. In other words, a true believer cannot continue to do all kinds of sins. It's kind of like somebody comes to you and he says, you know, I'm speaking out against you. I'm breaking the covet commandment. Yet, I ask you to forgive me, but I'm not going to stop from doing it. So when a person persists in a sin against his conscience, even though he knows it to be a sin, even though he deliberately continues to sin for a long time, one can really wonder whether he has faith because that's what the excommunication, the discipline that we talked about last week is all about. Discipline is used to bring people to a proper understanding of what the Word of God teaches to help them out. Very important. We do know that, for example, a person can fall from faith and then come back to it. Adam and Eve are good examples. 
They lost the image of God. They lost the Holy Spirit. They lost their holiness. But then they repented and were thus restored to a state of grace. Very, very important, therefore, that we take a look at these items. He uses David as an example with his sin of Bathsheba. And we see there that David sinned against every commandment during that process. And yet, when Nathan the prophet spoke to him the law of God, that he was the one responsible for his sin, David proclaimed, I have sinned against the Lord, and he was forgiven. So, it is enough for us to know that whoever perseveres to the end in repentance and faith is certainly the elect and will be saved. As Christ said, blessed are those who persevere to the end. And that's the conclusion of the 20th evening lecture. On tomorrow's Long Gospel, we're going to be doing something special with Wes Reimnitz. We're going to be talking about a subject that is on the mind of everybody, and that's called evidential apologetics. We'll talk about our view of evidential apologetics. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.